0: Well, this week we have a very special Mary to study. And it's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's not Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, but Mary Magdalene. And it's actually Mary the Magdalene, just like it's Jesus the Nazarene kind of thing. So Magdala is where she's from. But if you've ever thought that you were too broken to be fixed, this is a wonderful story for you. If you've ever been judged wrongly, this is a good story for you. If you've ever thought you could never be used because you had blown it too much, this is a great story for you. And so before we study, Mary, let's open in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the example that you have given us of this wonderful woman who you redeemed, whom you saved from demons. Lord, her life was going nowhere and she was caught in a cycle of horrible consequences and, and just the trial that she suffered through. And so, Lord, as we study her, would you anoint this time? Would you Pour out your Holy Spirit so we can truly understand exactly what you want us to learn from her. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to take our uh, scripture. Whoops. My little pointer here thing is falling apart. All right. I think I'm back in business. Whoops. No, I'm not. All right. So it's found in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This is the first mention of Mary. Magdalene. It says soon after afterwards Jesus began a tour of nearby towns and villages preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women he had healed and from whom he had cast out evil spirits. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out 7 demons. So, where was Jesus at this time? Well, I since my pointer's not working, let me try it. There it is. Yay. I do have a pointer. Yay. Okay. So Okay, so Capernaum is up here. So this is where Jesus is now. But he apparently traveled the full length of the Sea of Galilee. Magdala is right there. That is where our lady is from. And so apparently he's doing a like a clockwise uh He's just preaching at every one of these towns. It's kind of like he's gone on this tour, in a sense. And so, anyway, that's the beginning of our story. And he had been traveling up the coast for some time, and Mary, after she had been delivered from from the, the demon possession, she decided to follow Jesus. And so, anyway, she was from this little town called Magdala and we get to visit it. Some of you have been uh, to uh, Israel with us. I see a few of them here in this room. You have visited this site, and it's amazing because in 2009, they didn't even know it was there. They knew it was an older village of Magdala, but they couldn't find any true ruins until they were excavating to build a, a hotel. And... They had brought in all this heavy equipment. Well, they uncovered what they knew to be some type of ruins. They called them antiquities. And so they have to immediately stop all digging and and everything. And they have to call the uh, Israel Antiquities Authority, or the IAA. And they take this very seriously. You could actually be arrested if you don't stop digging. So they absolutely did. And... So this is the hotel in the background. Can you see that? And this is what they started to uncover. Isn't that amazing? And I love all this uh, (coughs) tile work here. (coughs) Excuse me. And that is from the original from 2,000 years ago. And one thing that I really love is this right here where the circle is, that's where the priest would stand as he would teach the people. And in the middle there, since I can use my pointer, uh, this right here was a little altar, and that has been been replaced because the original one was very precious to the Israeli people, and they didn't want to lose it, and people do steal these kind of things. So it's actually in the mu- museum in Jerusalem. And so anyway... Jesus, would stood, he stood right here and preached to the people standing and sitting around. And I love that it is actually called a number one antiquity. And what that means is, okay, a number three is Jesus could have been there, maybe But, you know, sometimes it's a stretch. And we see quite a few of those. So they'll get the general vicinity of where Jesus may have been. And then a number two antiquity is Jesus was probably there. Well, this is a number one. That means Jesus was there. They are 99% sure because he taught in the temple at Magdala. And this is the temple at Magdala. So he had to have stood right there. And I love that because I want to go through the barrier, you know, and they. They guard it very carefully, and I want to touch, you know, the tile where he stood, you know. But they don't let you do that. But uh, anyway, you know, just, wow, Jesus stood here. And it's not to worship the stones in the tile or anything like that, and I would never dream of popping one off, but, well... <laughs> No, seriously, I would never do that, but but anyway, um, but it's just amazing to think that Jesus stood right there, and it's one of my favorite places to stop. So anyway, while Jesus was there, t- he taught in the temple, but it doesn't really say if he met Mary before or after he taught there, but I like to think that perhaps he he found her before because she was suffering. She was in agony. Can you imagine having not one, not two, but seven demons living inside you, causing all sorts of havoc? I mean, her, her mind had to have been broken. And oftentimes, people who are demon-possessed, they almost act animalistic, often harming themselves and others. Most definitely, she was an outcast if she even had moments of of being lucid, but she was living a horrible, horrible existence. Jesus knew that. It was probably one of those divine appointments that he goes, you know what? I need to go to Magdala. There is somebody there that needs a touch from me. And when he met her, he cast out those demons, and out of gratitude, Mary decided to follow Jesus wherever he went, and that began her new life. And from this point on, Mary is spoken of as a disciple of Christ, just like we are disciples. So he took this woman who was completely broken and turned her into a wonderful servant, and she follows Jesus and does whatever he needs to have done. If he needs somebody to cook for him, she's there to do that. And she truly lived out what Paul spoke of in Acts 20, 35. And it says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than receive. So Mary, out of the thankfulness in her heart of what Jesus had done for her, for her, he rescued her literally and the Annie also had forgiven all her sins. she was loving to serve him. It was the least she could do. She was so grateful. and there's a st- also a story very similar to this, and it's found in Luke 47:47 47, 47. and it says, "I tell you her sins, and they are many have been forgiven." So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. So this was following, he said this following that, that, that scene where a woman walks in off the street, she recognizes who Jesus is, she anoints his feet with oil, and then she proceeds to clean his feet with her tears and her hair. And this is why she did it, because she was so thankful that Jesus forgave her sins. And I had to focus on this, the part that was kind of confusing to me. It says, but a person who is forgiven little only, shows only little love. And then I had to remember the context of that verse. Always remember, you need to know the context. Jesus is being confronted at this point, by the self-righteous Pharisees. He was actually in a Pharisee's home. He was probably thinking, I can't believe this woman walked in to my house and sat at Jesus' feet and anointed his feet with oil. You know, And they're thinking, wow, he, obviously he doesn't know who she is, but of course he knows, right? Because he wants to restore her also. But see, here we have these self-righteous Pharisees thinking that they never sin because they follow the law, even though their pride is one of the biggest sins, right? But they didn't ask forgiveness because they didn't recognize that they were sinners. This woman recognized she was a sinner. And so she gave honor to Jesus because he had forgiven her much. And she showed much love towards him, whereas the Pharisees, They didn't ask for forgiveness, and they also had no love for Jesus because they didn't think they needed him. That was the difference. But Mary, going back to her, she had much to be thankful for. And our next scripture tells us of Mary's devotion to the Lord. So this is the crucifixion scene, and Jesus has been arrested, And everybody else has kind of abandoned him. Jesus has denied him. And Mary followed wherever Jesus went. She couldn't help but follow him. He was her savior. She didn't care what others thought. She didn't care if they arrested her. And she had to be wherever Jesus was. That's where she had to be. Even when he went to die on the cross, she was there. So listen to this scripture found in Mark 15, 37 through 41. It says, Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who had stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. So they're explaining, we've all heard this story before, but I want you to get the context of what was happening here. Some women were there watching from a distance, including, notice she is mentioned first. That is a great honor in Hebrew culture, including Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Sal- Salomon. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. So here we have women that are giving, getting a special mention, aren't they? It's like none of the disciples are even mentioned here. And we only know of one That was actually there, and that was John, because Jesus spoke to John when he told John to take care of his mother. But the women, they were the faithful ones. Doesn't that make you feel good? It's like, wow, the women were the strong ones here, weren't they? But Mary being mentioned first of all these women was a notable honor. Honor. And then Mary and the other women, they followed Jesus' body as they carried him to Joseph's tomb. But she couldn't do anything until the Sabbath was over. So they just laid him in the tomb, and then she was going to come back on Sunday morning. And that's found in John 20, 1 through 18. And it says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, So that just shows us her work ethic, right? Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Now that had to have been amazing. She was probably hoping that somebody was gonna be there. Roman guards, remember, were supposed to be guarding this and maybe she was gonna ask the Roman guards if they could help her roll the stone away because there was no way she would be able to do it on her own. These things weighed a lot. They were huge, huge rocks, And she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple. And I love that. John never admits that it's him that's writing this. The one whom Jesus loved. She says, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I would have loved to have met John. He seems to have had a a sense of humor, didn't he? He's going, I beat Peter. But anyway, he stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Now if you ever want to do a side story, find out why Jesus folded the head wrapping. It's fascinating, but I don't have time to get into it. Just, you know, something to do on your own. It says then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, he had to reiterate, I got there first, still excuse me, he says, reached the tomb first, went in, and saw and believed. For until then, they hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. That's how that chapter ends. Then they went home. It's like, wow, that's it? But let's break this down a little bit. Why did she get there so early on Sunday morning? Well, she worked hard, but she wanted to prepare Jesus' body for permanent uh, embalming in the tomb. And, of course, she couldn't do it until after the Sabbath. And she shows up. Jesus is missing. And now she doesn't know what to do. She's kind of lost. Then our scripture goes on to say, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Now, I find it interesting that the angels didn't reveal themselves to Peter and John, but they did to Mary. That shows us Mary's pretty special, isn't she? And they said, Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. They turn, she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. It doesn't say why she didn't recognize him. Maybe she was expecting him to be the, the battered person that she saw go in the tomb. We don't know. She says, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said. If you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. She was desperate. I need to have him back. Mary, Jesus said, she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go, find my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and and your Father and to my God and your God. I love that. He's acknowledging that, that Mary and the disciples are his brothers and sisters. It's the same thing for us. We have been adopted into God's family. We are now like brothers and sisters to Jesus. We are family. Isn't that wonderful? We have been adopted. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. In some of the other Gospels, it speaks of how the Disciples really didn't believe Mary. Maybe they thought she was going a little loopy again, you know, now that Jesus was gone. It doesn't say, but they really didn't take her word for it. And it had to have been a little frustrating for her. But anyway, Jesus shows up at their house a few days later, and that had to be a surprise. But the most amazing thing about this scripture to me is that Jesus appeared to Mary first. Of all the people in the world, he appears to marry Magdalene first. What does that tell us? He must have loved her deeply, not in a weird romantic way, in a God way, that agape love. Probably loved her, you know, with that everlasting love. She was precious to him. But she had had such a great impact in Following after him, serving him. There's some common fallacies regarding Mary which I think are worth mentioning. First one was Mary was Jesus' wife. Sorry, that's false. The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus was never married. So they're all out there if you if you Google it, they'll say, Oh yeah, yeah, you know, Mary Magdalene was Jesus' wife. No. Another fallacy, that Jesus was, excuse me, that Mary was a prostitute. This is also false. I actually just assumed that she was because I'd heard it repeated so much. But as I dug into it, nowhere in scripture does it say that she was a prostitute. That's just been assigned to her because the, the town of Magdala was known kind of like a, a party town. And so there were prostitutes that lived in Magdala, But she wasn't one. I don't think she could because she was crazy. But even today, there's a a place called the, the Magdalene Institute. And it was established to minister to repentant prostitutes, the mentally ill and unwed mothers. But recently it has come to light that it was actually more of a human slave labor place. The people there were greatly mistreated, mother and children alike, because unwed mothers would go there and they would be born there and then they would be put into like labor camps, that kind of thing. But what lessons can we learn from Mary? So many. I will just highlight three, though. Lesson number one no one is beyond Jesus' help. Here we had a woman with seven demons inside her, dwelling in her body. I mean, I have enough trouble with one voice in my head. Can you imagine having seven, right, all telling her what to do? She must have been torn asunder. They were destroying her mind. And one word from Jesus, and they had to flee. Why? Because he is the ruler of the inner universe, He created them. They have to obey. They had to leave. But what does that mean to us? See, we all have that promise of being redeemed. We may not be demon-possessed, although that can happen as an unbeliever, not as believers. You can be tormented by demons, but you can never, ever be possessed because you now have the Holy Spirit residing in you and a demon Doesn't like that. He will not attempt to come in. So if you ever hear of a Christian being demon-possessed, that's untrue. But anyway, Jesus is able to redeem anyone at any time for anything. Redeemed means to compensate for the faults or bad aspects of a person. That's the Webster Dictionary. And who has he compensated for our faults or bad aspects in our lives? Who has done this for us? Jesus, right? He has redeemed us. Ephesians 1.7 tells us, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So is there anything we can do where God will withhold that redemption? No, there isn't. If we ask forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive us. But you see, we can't do that ourselves. No more than Mary could have redeemed herself. She was lost. She was doomed to live out her life in the condition she was in. But Jesus came and he met her. I've heard some people say that they don't want to come to Jesus because they felt like they were too dirty. You may have heard that when you're sharing the gospel. They say, no, I I need to clean myself up before I come to Jesus. And I say, no, all you have to do is surrender to him and he does the cleaning up. He does it. Because you see, we can never ever do it on our own. No more than Mary could. And he does the rest. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus Jesus promises a new life in him. All, everything's been washed away. You are starting with a clean slate, and it's available to everyone. Lesson number two, I love that Mary served with a pure heart. She didn't ask questions. She did whatever needed to be done for Jesus. She loved serving him with her whole heart. She never questioned him. I mean, I can't imagine ever questioning Jesus I mean, if he tells me to do something, yes, sir, because I love him. But she was trusted and loved by Jesus also. It was very mutual there. Galatians tells us how a true servant should act. And it's found in Galatians 5.13. It says, for you have been called to live in freedom my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another. Isn't that what Mary did? She was now free to do whatever she wanted to do. She's been released from the demons. But did she go, you know what? I was tired of being controlled by these demons. I want to live my own life. But she didn't do that, did she? She wanted to now live her life for Jesus. It says, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. But let's break this down just a little bit more. See, we've been called to live in freedom. Free to, to do what? Now, some people would say, well, the Bible is just a bunch of rules and regulations. But what freedom do we really have as believers? And what freedom do we have as unbelievers? I have a real life example. As some of you know, I have a new little monster living in my house. Doesn't she look so sweet? Okay, but you see that what she's laying on there? Yeah, that's an old tote bag that she destroyed. Okay, and then she goes, okay, I think I'm gonna turn this into a bed now. But I decided... to go ahead and give it to her because I'm trying to get this study done. And meanwhile, she's just destroying everything. But lately, she has discovered electrical cords, okay? And every time I turn around, it's like, where are you getting these things, right? She pulls them out of the walls, you know, it's like, please stop. I have this horrible fear of her biting through one of those things. So, you know, I feel like I have a toddler in my house. I'm gonna have to start putting those little plugs in all the outlets, right? Right. But I don't want her to bite him. Why? It would shock her. It could injure her. It could kill her. So am I being mean because I don't let her do that? No, I do it because I love her. I don't want to see her harmed. Our Heavenly Father does the exact same thing for us. He gives us the Word of God so that when we look at it, we go, ooh, I don't want to do that because that can harm me. That's why God puts it there. So it's not really a book of rules and regulations as, hey, you want to be able to live? You want to live in joy and peace and follow after my, my rules? Was Mary living in freedom before she met Jesus? No, of course not. She was controlled by demons. Likewise, oftentimes we are controlled by sin and circumstances, people, people anything but the Lord. But when Jesus meets us, he, he sets us free from all of that. So what is our conclusion then? What freedom is being spoken of here? It's freedom from sin. It's freedom from the punishment of it. It's the freedom to go to heaven freedom to have that joy and peace in our lives, freedom to have a life full and blessed. And then it goes on to say, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. What does that mean? Well, sometimes people think, well, you know what? I've got my ticket stamped. I've got my fire insurance. Now I can live my life for myself. They forget well, you have to make Jesus your Savior and Lord. They like the Savior part. They just don't like the Lord part. What did, what did our Mary do? She took the Savior part and the Lord part, didn't she? She didn't live for herself anymore. It says, instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And isn't that what Mary did? Isn't what, that what her life showed us? Jesus saved her from a horrible fate, demonic possession, and now she is free to serve others, and she loves it. And then she was loving others like she loved herself. And trust me, we love ourselves a lot, don't we? And then the last part. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So unfortunately, I see this a lot in ministry, Um, not so much recently, praise God, but oftentimes they forget the grace that they have been shown and the Holy Spirit no longer is able to speak into their lives. He's still there. He promises never to leave us or forsake us, but he's no longer able to speak into our lives. And in its place grows pride and anger and unkindness, gossip, undermining. You name all those fleshly things. And consequently, they are literally destroying the body of Christ along with it because we are all one body, aren't we? So when one part is, is growing and in, in being bad, shall we say, it's like a little cancer cell, and it's growing and spreading throughout the body. But Mary, she had a pure heart when it came to serving Jesus. That's all she wanted to do. She wanted to be like him. Even when the dis- disciples disregarded her when she was saying, they've taken Jesus, or I have seen Jesus, you know, they kind of, remember, they kind of thought she was a little loopy. I mean, me, I probably would have jumped into the flesh and said they were crazy back. But, and then I'd have to apologize later. But anyway, you know, she was just so kind and gentle and loving. And it's probably because she knew what life was before. She remembered what her life was before Jesus. Our last lesson is never be too quick to judge. Mary, no doubt, had been judged very harshly. Her village probably judged her. She was an outcast because she was always possessed by these demons. The disciples judged her when she tried to tell them that Jesus was alive. They thought she was being hysterical. Uh, Then history judged her, didn't it? Because she traveled with Jesus. You know, oh, well, there must have been something going on there. Maybe she was his wife. And, And then... Oh, then she must have been a prostitute or something. You know, just all this stuff that they had said about her. And it really came down to they were judging who she was. And the only one who had the true right to judge her was who? Jesus. Why is that? Because he knew what was going on in her life. He knew she had seven demons. He probably knew them by name. We, on the other hand, never really know the whole story, do we? Because we can't reach inside a person's mind and see what troubles them, why they do the things they do, what broke their mind in the first place. Today's equivalent would be someone who is a homeless person on the street. I see them a lot when I drive down PCH. The Lord is always faithful to remind me to always pray for these people. But some of them, you can tell, their minds are so broken. What do we want to do? We want to judge them. Oh, well, they probably deserve it because, you know, they're, they've been taking drugs or, or drinking alcohol or whatever. But that's, that doesn't matter to Jesus. All he sees is what broke their mind in the first place. And he wants to, to reach each one of them. And he can do that. Have you ever thought of that? Sometimes we look at those kind of people and we go, oh, God can't help them. They're too far gone. I have thought it to my own shame. Like, oh, there's no way. But does it get any worse than seven demons? I don't think so. But Jesus says a lot about judging others. Matthew 7, 1 and 2, it says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So let's break this down also. It says, do not judge others, and you will not be judged. This is a warning that if you judge other people, that always seems to come around and you get judged in turn. It puts the spotlight now on you because you've been outspoken about somebody else. They go, well, hey, wait a minute. You know, didn't I see you doing this? And then suddenly your sins are being highlighted. You're being judged by others. That's the warning here. We are to treat others like we want it to be tre- treated. It's a very simple concept. You treat others with kindness. They will in turn treat you with kindness. You judge them harshly. You will in turn be judged harshly. It says the standard that you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Some versions say, you know, it's it's like if you are measured by one standard, if you judge others by this standard, you also will be judged by that standard that you have. Like if you are telling people they need to be perfect, guess what? You got to be perfect too. Ooh, we don't like that, do we? Oh, wait a minute. You know, here, let me try to get that speck out of your eye while I've got this big old log in mine. The reason why Jesus said that right after he said do not judge others is because oftentimes our own sin gives us bitterness in our heart. That bitterness has a tendency to reflect onto others by judging them harshly, not showing love, not showing grace, that's why Jesus warns us against it. But if you must, if you are in a situation where you do have to judge, and sometimes we do, I tell you what, you need to go in God, to God in prayer and make sure that your heart is pure in the matter so that you do not judge wrongly. You need to ask God for his wisdom, and he always promises to give you that, so never forget that. Mary was judged perhaps too harshly by others but that was a scary situation for those people back then. They looked at this crazy lady who was demon possessed and they probably thought she was hopeless. I mean, why? why would they do this? What does this actually look like? Well, the scriptures give us a glimpse. Mark five, two through five tells us when Jesus climbed out of the boat a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery. Apparently, he lived there to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, he, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. This is what demons do to you. Now, do that times seven. Mary was in bad shape, really bad shape. She was probably frightening to look upon. So can you really blame the village people for kind of wanting to stay back? This was completely out of their league. No one would want to confront her. But Jesus came, and he judged her perfectly, said, ah, I know what's going on here. I can see it. I know what it is. But wrapping up, let's look at our lessons one more time. No one is beyond Jesus' help. Number one, serve with a pure heart and never be too quick to judge. And how do we do this? Wow, that could be difficult, can't it? Hebrews 4.16 tells us, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. What does that mean? That means go to God, go to Jesus, our mediator, with boldness. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There you have it. He's asking us, just come and ask. I want you to come and ask. Nothing is too big, nothing is too small for Jesus to want to hear from you. He loves us. He loves to hear from us. He loves it when we talk to him. I mean, you can ask him anything, and I do. Sometimes it's like, Lord, does this color look good on me? And sometimes he'll say, nope. I go, you know what, that's what I thought too. Thank you very much. You know, but see, we talk to our girlfriends that way, don't we? Why don't we talk to Jesus that way? He loves to hear from us. He loves us. But that is a wonderful promise, isn't it? We will obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for this story that gives us so much encouragement. And we thank you that no matter how great our sin is, no matter how far we have fallen, you are there to be able to pull us back up, to restore us, And some of us, no doubt, have people that are difficult in our lives that we sometimes look to them and think it's hopeless. They will never come to you. Lord, you're in the business of restoring. And so nothing is too big for you. So give us that hope. Lord, we need that hope that those unsaved family, friends, those people that we love can be touched by you no matter the circumstances. And we thank you and we praise you for that. And we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.